reading for today is Psalm 46, beginning at verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations that he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's an old um, sermon illustration I read some years ago. It's, it's a story that allegedly appeared in an Italian newspaper. And it was about this young couple that was visiting Milan. And they seemed very devout in their worship. They visited, according to the priest of the cathedral there, they went and they visited the, the, the sanctuary, the cathedral, every single day. And they would spend an hour or more at the feet of the statue of the Virgin Mary. And the way that they were bent down, the priest just assumed every day they showed up that they were there to pray until after several days, he noticed a small charging cable coming from behind the statue of the Virgin Mary. And he realized that the young couple wasn't there to pray, but that they were there because they found an outlet to charge their cell phone. <laughs> now, thankfully, this is Italy, right? Like here at St. John's, we've installed USB chargers at the end of every pew. So if you need, no, I'm just kidding. We've, a couple of you, really? That's pretty cool, right? It's a funny story, but it raises a serious question. And the question is this, where do you go to be still? Where do you go to be still? Today we're starting a new sermon series. It's a series that, that I've been thinking and praying about for quite some time. And, and it comes from the two words that we just read in Psalm 46.10. And, and there's variations of these words that we find throughout the scriptures. Be still. And yet what we're going to learn as we go through this is that those words mean so much more than just slowing down. It means so much more than just recharging your spiritual batteries. But to be still is an invitation to commune with our creator in the midst of a world that is anything but still. And the challenge that we're going to be faced with today is is that these words, be still, probably don't mean the same thing that we often think they mean, and that's actually a good thing. 
And so let's dive in. Let's kind of, we're going to go through this psalm. We're going to kind of go through it at one verse at a time here. Psalm 46 is a song. It's a prayer. And, and at the time that it was written and afterwards, it would have been used in the temple for worship in Jerusalem. You would have had women that were playing percussive, tambourine-like instruments. And then you would have had the priests that would have used it as kind of a musical chant where they would call out and the assembly of believers would sing these words. And while they were singing these words, they had enemies that were coming in from every side. And so as they came to worship, it mattered because they were coming before a God that they were hoping would save them. And it was in the midst of all of this that they would sing Psalm 46, beginning at verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. In other English translations, I like the better way that they translate ever-present. They translate it very present. And the reason I like that a little bit better is because it communicates that, that not only are we looking at where God is located, right, but we're looking at the true level of his presence. And you know the difference, right? Like yesterday, I was really tired. I came home um, and, and had dinner with my family, and my 13-year-old Jacob, he was telling a story, and, and I was just staring. And Alyssa looked at me, and she said, Tom, are you there? <laughs> Are you there? Are you, you know, and I was just, you ever been there before, right? You're physically present, but you're not really present. Well, these words suggest here that God is very present, that he is waiting, that he is in the moment, in the way that the concept is communicated in other places, like Isaiah 55, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. You know God is always near, Right? And yet at the same time, Psalm 46 tells us that he is very near. He is very near specifically when we are in times of trouble and help, when we need refuge, when we need strength. These are the words that inspired the hymn that Martin Luther wrote. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. And you're like, what is a bulwark? We don't use that word anymore, right? It's, it's, it's a lot of things. It's a barrier. It's a shield. It's a wall that is erected at the top of a ship to protect those on the upper deck from wind and weather and attack. It's a mighty fortress. And what the psalmist is communicating is that because God's presence is a mighty fortress in the midst of all of this, verse 2, we shall not fear. Therefore, we shall not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Now, if we just read this, we're going to miss the beautiful imagery that's taking place here. Last summer, I shared with you, I, I went to Colorado, and I had the privilege with about 40 or so Lutheran pastors from all around the country. We all spent some time in the middle of where there's, there's no cell phone reception, in the middle of the mountains in Colorado. And every morning I woke up to do my devotionals, and I'd read psalms like this. And the ranch that we were staying in, I'd come and I'd sit out in the front porch, and this picture, that's what I saw. Like, has anybody been out there to see the mountains? Show of hands. It's just breathtaking. It's, it's majestic. It's just 
absolutely incredible. And so you look at this picture of this mountain. I'm looking up at this 13,000-foot peak. And you just ask yourself, can you even imagine that thing crashing down and falling into the sea? Like, can you even comprehend that? And, and, and then we get to the sea. And in biblical times, the sea was considered, we live in the Midwest, right? Like, you can go check out, like, Michigan, but it's not the same. The sea was considered the most untamed, uncontrolled environment. It's unpredictable. It's massive beyond our comprehension. When you're out on the sea, you're incredibly aware that you are at the mercy of powers that go well beyond yourself. In Genesis chapter 1, the very second verse of the creation account says this, that the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Deep, empty, dark waters. And so the psalmist is painting a picture and he's painting a picture of massive mountains, the epitome of strength and permanence, right? right? All of those things. And he paints a picture of that crumbling and falling into the sea and disappearing as if creation itself is becoming undone before their eyes. And all of that is used to describe life. Because if you think about it, you've been there too, haven't you? We've all experienced this. When was the last time that something that felt permanent in your life threatened to crash down into the ocean? When was the last time the creation around you felt like it was being undone? Maybe it was the loss of a job or the breakdown of an opportunity or a relationship. Happens in death, doesn't it? Happens when we're facing the death of a loved one, and even when we face our own mortality, right? Even though we're in a church and we have a faith that says that our death is just the beginning, let's be brutally honest. When you're the one facing it, it feels like a mountain that's crashing into the sea. And so Psalm 46 reminds us that God's promise is to be our refuge. It's to be our fortress during these times. Verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. At the times that the Psalms were written and sung, war was common. And if a city had a river running through it, it had a significantly better chance of holding back its enemies than a city that didn't have a river because of a lot of very logical reasons. It's a source of life, right? There's, there's fish flowing through it. It's water. It might even pose a natural barrier, right? Like the, the Red Sea kept the Egyptian army from continuing to pursue Israel as they ran away. Unlike the untamed nature of the ocean or the sea, a river represents life. A river represents direction. A river represents protection. A river represents 
hope. But that's ironic because as they're singing these words in Jerusalem, if you look at a map, you'll see there's no river running through Jerusalem. And the reason is because God is the river. And I'm not making that up, but in the Gospel of John, we read about this major Jewish festival. It's known as the Feast of Booths. It's one of the three major feast days for the Jews. And it was an opportunity for Israel to thank God for providing for all of their needs. It's at the end of the fall harvest season. And so they look back and they thank God for this year's provision. But they also look back at all the generations that it provided for them over the years. And one of the important memories that they look back on is recorded way back in Exodus chapter 17 when Israel was in the wilderness and they were wandering and they were thirsty. And so God told Moses to take his staff and strike a rock and out of the rock came water and they were able to drink and so what they do at this festival is they take water and they pour it over the altar I would love to do that I don't think our custodian would be very happy with me but I love the image of that and they would do it during this festival and so all of that that's the festival that's the context and Jesus in the Gospel of John chapter 7, he's there. And it says this in verse 37. It says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and he said in a loud voice, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow out from within them. Under no uncertain terms, Jesus is communicating to these people and to us that he is the rock. That he is the rock. That we don't need Moses to strike a stone. Jesus is the rock and he lives in you and in me. That God is not only a fortress to protect us, but he's a river that's running through us. And his presence is providing for us protection and direction and hope, which is what we need when the world around us feels like it's falling apart. That's what we need. Verse 6, nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts up his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations that he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. There's an Old Testament scholar, the late Derek Kidner, and I read this in his commentary on Psalm 46 this week. He said the, the reassuring words that God makes wars cease are set in a context not of gentle persuasion, but in a world devastated and forcibly disarmed. It's the very next verse that we get those familiar words, be still. And as I said at the beginning, they don't mean what most of us think that they mean. This is not a gentle whisper in a meditative moment saying, shh, be still. That's not what these words are saying. This is a mighty God in a booming voice speaking into every destruction and every chaos and every injustice in the world. It is God coming in and saying, be 
still and know that I am God. Many of the commentators would suggest that a better translation is not be still. It is one word, enough. Enough to all of the things that harm us. Enough to all of the things that take away our peace. Enough to everything that takes away our stillness. And it's when God says be still that everything else stills. Everything quiets. Wars end. Dictators relinquish their power. Soldiers put down their weapons. Swirling storms are swallowed up into the heavens. And all that is left is the still presence of God. Psalm 46.10, he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The truth is, when we need it the most, we can't be still. We are incapable of being still. To be still is not really anything that anyone can do any more than you have the ability to control the sea or hold the mountains back from falling into it. To be still is to say yes to the invitation to be stilled by God. To be still is to say yes to the invitation to be stilled by God. It is a stillness that flows like a river. And I was sitting on... Friday, I was writing my sermon. I was writing this sermon on Friday. And I got a text message from a member of our church. And she was asking me to pray. She was waiting for some test results to come from the doctor. And she was concerned. And so she was asking me to pray. And I want, to, I want you to ask yourself for a minute, how do you think she would have responded if my response to that text message was, well, Psalm 46.10 says, be still. So you should be still. Your pastor says, be still. Your Bible says, be still. How do you think she would respond? She's very polite. She would have responded and said, thank you, pastor. I appreciate that. But if she was honest, and if she's anything like me, her response would be something more like, I can't be still. That's why I'm texting you. I, if I could be still, I wouldn't need you to pray for me, but I can't be still, and that's why I'm asking my pastor, will you pray? And the truth is, nobody can be still on their own. Nobody can be still. You'd be crazy to sit and do nothing while a 10,000-foot mountain crashes before you into the sea. It's impossible. You can't do it. What you need and what I need is a God who can still the distractions around us. A God who can still the dangers outside of us and the voices within us. A God who can protect us. A God who can take our fear and the fear that is rational fear. The fear that any rational person would feel when they're waiting for serious medical test results. And that God can take those things and say to us, I am holding you. 
And I am holding you in the midst of this storm of your pain or your concern or your cancer or whatever the worst possible outcome can be. I am holding you and I am the one saying to those things, be still and know that I am God. I think of God as if he is holding you with one hand and protecting you while with the other hand he is looking at whatever is robbing you of your peace and he is saying, be still, this is my daughter. Be still. This is my son. Be still. And friends, when we need to be still, that's what we really need. We don't need to be still. We need to be stilled. We need the brokenness around us to be stilled. I think about war and I think about the people in Ukraine who have experienced months of war and really years and years of conflict. They don't need us to send them meditative practices. They need a God who can come in and tell the war to stop. Be still. When you're fighting with somebody that you love and it's broken, when you're at war with yourself, you need God to come in and step in with his voice and say, be still. It's a number of years ago. I, um, I, I began experiencing this new abdominal pain. And, and it's really hard to describe. I had never felt it before. It was this, this very intense pressure that came from, from deep inside of me. I'd get these very painful episodes. And when they would come on, and I still do from time to time, not as much anymore, but, but, but they, would, they were like nothing I'd ever experienced before. I had to stop. I had to sit down. It was extremely painful. And so like a lot of... Like a lot of stubborn men, I didn't tell my wife. <laughs> and eventually I had one of these episodes, and Alyssa's a nurse, and she experienced it, and she said, what's going on? And I told her, and she said, how long has this been happening? And I told her, and she said, well, you've got to go to the doctor. That's very serious. You've got to have that looked at. And so I, I went to the doctor, and the doctor agreed, and so he did a whole bunch of tests, and nothing came from those tests. Everything looked pretty normal. So he said, you've got to go see a specialist. And so I went to a specialist, they did a CT scan. They looked inside. They didn't see anything that was out of the ordinary there. And so he said, but this is serious. You've got to go to another specialist. And so they sent me to another specialist. He did a bunch of scans as well. And nothing resulted in anything that could describe or explain what was going on. And so he left the room, and he came back in, this last doctor. And Alyssa was sitting next to me. And I'm getting very concerned at this point. Because I don't know what it is, and this keeps happening. And he comes back in, and he gives me this packet. The doctor does. And I said, what's this? And he said, these are some meditative practices, Tom. I think you're stressed. And I think that your body is responding to the stress in your life and that those painful episodes are coming from your stress. And so Aurora Healthcare gives me this packet of meditative practices. And I will tell you what I thought in my head, and I didn't say out loud. I was offended. <laughs> I was 
offended. I didn't say this, but I thought, meditative practices? Did you see the title reverend in front of my name? I'm a pastor. Like, like people text me when they need me to pray. I can sing a mighty fortress by heart. I know the 23rd Psalm. I know the Lord's Prayer. I can recite the Apostles' Creed. And you're going to give me this 10 times photocopied packet that says you've got to take a deep breath? What is this? <laughs> I was offended. <laughs> but then I was humbled. Because in the days and weeks that followed, I began to realize that while I had the tools to be still, I was not being stilled at all. I was not letting God control the things in my life that only he can. And he was speaking through my body to say, enough. Because I couldn't do it anymore. And friends, since that time, I used to think prayer was talking to God. That's what we teach our kids, right? Prayer is talking to God. But if you want to be still, the older I get, the more I realize that in prayer, it's not so much about me talking to him. It's about him quieting me. So that I can listen so that I could slow down. And sometimes it's so that I can hear his voice, but more often it's so that he can say to me the same thing he said to Martha. Remember the story? We read it not too long ago. Martha and Mary had Jesus come over, right? Martha did all the work. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. Martha's upset. She says, look at all this stuff that I've got to do. And Jesus looks at Martha and says, Martha, Martha. I love it. He calls her by name, Martha. Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Friends, if you came to church today because you saw that there's a new sermon series about being still, and you wanted me to give you a tool or some kind of practice, and we'll get to some of that kind of stuff, but... I can go make a copy of that thing I got at Aurora Healthcare if you want it. <laughs> and if you wait for everything in your life to be good and the chaos to end and the mountains to stop falling so that you can be still, you're going to be waiting forever. You're going to be waiting until life stills you when life ends and your body stops and your heart doesn't beat anymore. If you want to be stilled, you need to stop and allow God to do the stilling in your life. Be stilled and allow God to take control of the things that only he can. And the invitation of Psalm 46 is a beautiful invitation that if he hasn't yet taken care of it yet, that he will. And until he does, he is holding you like a mighty fortress and protecting you and me in times of trouble and war as the mountains crash into the sea. And so would you join me now as we come before God, and I want to encourage you to close your eyes, and I want to encourage you not to be stilled, but not to be still, but to be stilled by God.
Lord Jesus, we come before you in your sanctuary. And we come before you in this time and this place that we have set apart. And we come before you in silence. But we know that the silence is not the same thing as the stillness and peace that only you can bring. Your words say, be still. And first and foremost, those words are intended for all of the things outside and within us that are robbing us of our peace. Silence is uncomfortable. Silence is uncomfortable because it's in the silence that we so often are most aware of the voices that we have been trying to hide from in so many ways. And so we come before you, God, in peace, not with this idea that we ourselves can generate peace, but we come before you and we ask you to bring peace to our anxiety, to our stress, to the brokenness inside of us and the brokenness outside of us. Will you make the war cease? The powers that destroy your creation, will you stop those things. You are the one who created the mountains. You can hold them back from crashing into the sea. And when they crash into the sea, you can lift them up in the new and beautiful creation you have promised to bring. Your words are be still. And so God, I pray for myself and I pray for each and every one of us here in this place that we might hear those words from the safety of the arms of a God who is holding us, who is protecting us like a bird protects her young with her wings, like a mighty fortress. You are our God. Be still and help us to be still.